Romans. We're now going into the practical application side of things, right? We had the doxology, or I'm sorry, the orthodoxy, which is correct doctrine that Paul wanted to make sure the Romans had. Um, then he has that little middle part where he talks about God's faithfulness to Israel and he hasn't forgotten them. And no matter what they do, he's going to be faithful to them. And as a result, we should be faithful to them. And as a result, we should be thankful for them. And we should give them what they deserve and what they not necessarily earn. But God has put them in a position of being in his blessing. And so just as we have been put in a position of blessing, we should be thankful for the nation of Israel, even though they are uh, the majority of them are not followers of God. There's always a remnant. And so God holds the nation accountable to its remnant, really, um, in the sense that God will always bless Israel because of the remnant of believers. And that can be said for even the church as a whole. Um, you know, it was forecasted in by Jesus himself that the church would become this big tree, right? This mustard seed would turn into a big tree, which doesn't normally happen. A seed doesn't come, you know, a tree doesn't come from a plant or from an herb. But that within this tree would be all kinds of false doctrines and false teachings and all these things. But the remnant is what Christ works through, and that's the church. Um, and so then from there, we moved, Paul moves from orthodoxy to orthopraxy. Orthopraxy is just right conduct, right? So we have right doctrine. And now that you have right doctrine, you can have right conduct. You can't reverse that. You can't have right conduct without right doctrine, right? Um, so that section is chapters 12 through 16, and it's God's righteousness at work. First, 1 through 11, really, are, is God's righteousness for man. How does man become righteous? And we learn that man becomes righteous by one thing only, and that's by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That's it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't make it faster, better, deeper. He does it all. He's the author and finisher of your faith. He's the one who calls you. No one can go to God unless God first calls him, right? Um, so now that, now, now that we have that salvation, right? Now that we've been made justified, declared righteous, the process of sanctification occurs. And so since, since you've received salvation, um, forgiveness of sins, redemption, and you're being sanctified, what, what is it that Paul tells us to do in Romans 12, 1 and 2? Right, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice that's acceptable to God, right? Um, Remember, Christ presented his body as a living sacrifice, right? And it was accepted by God, and the way that we know it was accepted by God was the resurrection of Christ. You, me, we've died with Christ, we were buried with Christ, we, were we are resurrected with Christ. So therefore, live like it, right? Do it, because it's all been done for you, so do it. And so... Uh, chapters 12 through 16 are, are how do we what what do we do now how do we do that how do we present our bodies presenting our bodies is a one-time dedication one-time commitment you're basically giving yourself up to the Lord to say thank you for all the blessings and all the mercies and all the graces that you have given me as a result of that I present my body to you to do as you wish right to do as you as you want with my body with me I present my body as a 
as a, uh, an instrument of righteousness, right? We were instruments of unrighteousness before, and because he saved us, now we want to be instruments of righteousness, right? So Paul goes on this, this sections of talking about now, how do you do that, right? And the foundational attitude is what? Does anyone remember what the foundational attitude of presenting your body is? Humility, right? Humility. Our, our, our foundation of how to behave towards one another, towards everything, is in humility. That's our, found, that's our, that's our attitude, because everything we want to do, we want to do in love. And, by, and actually today we're going to talk about how love really is the fulfillment of everything. The law, all the commandments. Loving yourself, loving your neighbors as yourself is fulfilling all the law. Right, even the Mosaic Law, right? So we talked about um, first our conduct in love and then to those within the church, right? And then we went on to those outside the church. There's several things that we talked about um, within to those believers, right? So even though, even though there are um, unbelievers and believers, we're actually supposed to give precedence to the believers, right? Give priority to the believers, the fellow believers. Um, but does it mean that we just neglect or reject unbelievers? No, we, we are thinking ahead of how we can be honorable and how we can do godly things for the unbelievers in our lives. We don't just, re we don't repay evil for evil. We don't ask for vengeance. We, in fact, when they do us harm or do us bad, what is it that we're to do? What was it? Forgive. Forgive? Bless them, right? And, and in the sense that do good back to them. Remember we talked last time about how when they do bad, you do good, right? And you're trying to induce what? Burning coal, coals on their head. Yes, right. Yeah. You're gonna. You're they gonna. Don't want to be mean, but. Right. Well, so what is the meaning of that? The, the meaning of that is not that you're like condemning them further to hell. Like, ah, oh, you're gonna get yours. Here's your. Here's my good deeds to get you into hell. You know. No, it's the idea of inducing them to change, right? To repent and to have, feel shame. It isn't that you shame them. It's that your good deeds shame them, right? The good works to them make them hopefully realize like, ah, I was kind of a jerk and I shouldn't have said that or done that or all these things. So the shame of, of their own conscience, which they have God's law written on their heart, uh, would motivate them or induce them to change to do godly things, right? Um, so that should take us to chapter 13. Um, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome it with good. That's verse 21, 12, 21. So now we move into the application to government, which is always a hot topic these days because our government is ridiculous at the present moment. Um, however, we have a responsibility to our government too. Even, even in its ridiculousness, we have, we have a, a responsibility because, and we're going to find out. So. Chapter 13, we'll go through 1 through 14. Maybe we'll hit 14, I don't know. Um, so even though we're no longer of this world, we're still in this world, right? We're not of the world, right? Remember the, the part, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember what renewing of your mind really means? 
reprogramming, right? You're programmed, we've, in our pagan society, we were programmed to live like pagans, apart from God. And, and, and Paul says, rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is reprogramming. How are you reprogramming? You're reprogrammed by the Word of God. So if you don't know the Word of God, you can't reprogram into what God's program is, right? So, so now that we're, even though we're not of the world, we're in the world, but we can be reprogrammed by the washing and the cleansing of the Word of God in our minds and in our hearts so that we can think properly about the world, about one another, about God, about our relationship to God, about our relationship to one another, right? That's just what we're kind of going through. Is, it's our relationships to people and God, right? And that's basically, the, the Ten Commandments are that. Five of them are your relationship between you and God, and the other five are you, your relationship between you and man, right? Okay, so we're still subject to our laws and regulations, even because we're in the world, not of the world. But our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus Christ, right? But we're not exempt from responsibilities of that, right? Imposed by the government, um, I would say with exception, and the exception is when the government mandates you to do things that are contrary to the scriptures, right? Contrary to God's word. Then you actually have a duty to not do it, right? Um, so we are to submit to earthly rulers, um, but our submission is not, should not f make us um, disobey the will of God. Makes sense, obviously, right? Makes sense. Okay, so chapter 13 has three sections. <clears throat> so uh, verses 1 through 7 are basically our, our public obligations, um, and then... 8 through 10 are private obligations, and then uh, 11 through 14 are our uh, personal obligations. So first, in verses 1 through 7, we'll talk about the public obligations. So the need, really, we're going to find out, well, why do we need to submit to the governing authorities? Um, so if someone would read 1A, 13-1A. All people, right? Let every person, that includes unbelievers, so all people should be subject to governing authorities. Um, the believer's motivation is, though, because it's the will of God, right? The unbeliever's motivation is because they don't really want to get in trouble. Right? But for us, the will of God is that you obey or you subject yourself to governing authorities and he's going to give us several reasons why this is. So go ahead with 1B, Susan. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Okay, did we read that correctly? <laughs> For there is no authority, right, except from God. So our current administration, our current leaders, all these things, did we vote them in? We, we kind of did. God kind of used the, maybe God kind of used the voting thing. I don't know. I don't want to go into that. But, but nonetheless, who put him there? God put him there, right? And so that's an interesting perspective from us as believers to say, even though they are corrupt leaders and they have all these issues and they're, you know, what, whatever, um, God put them there. And so he says, submit to their authority because I put them there. And submit, you submit to me because I will, all things will work together for the good of you, for you. So submit to the authorities, no matter what it might be, right? That's basically what he's saying. Because um, they've received their office by God, 
whether they whether we think they earned it or deserve it or are of good repute and good character and have have good decision making is not our business necessarily right it's really not our business um, now we you know there's a whole side thing to that that we have rights as US citizens and we have I believe that as US citizens we have we should exercise our rights to vote appropriately and hold them accountable, but nonetheless, the ultimate result of that leader in that office was given by God, right? Um, okay, so that's also in the Old Testament as well. It's, so it's throughout, right? Um, Daniel wrote that God sovereignly sets up and brings down ruling authorities, and I'll read Daniel 4.17. So Daniel 4.17 says, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. So God is in control, right? God is in control of the affairs of us. He's in the control of the affairs of the government. And no one becomes king or prime minister or president without God's appointment. Now, he obviously might use human means, right? Like I said, an electorate or a voting or, I don't know, a coup, I don't know, whatever they do, you know, to install the person he has chosen. But nonetheless, it's because God put him there. Yeah? And oftentimes... In Old Testament, the ruling authority can be used not just for good, it can be used for discipline of a nation, right? It can be used to, to he says, okay, that's the type of people you are, well, this is the type of leader you get, you know? And we can see that clearly in our own country um, from a moral standpoint. None of our leaders in recent times have been any kind of moral bastion, you know? So, um, okay, so in light of this truth, Read verse 2. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So if you're resisting the government, who are you ultimately resisting? That's pretty deep. That's pretty harsh. Right? You, it puts things in big perspective, right? Now, it's not referring to eternal judgment, like you're going to lose your salvation. We know that, that nothing can separate you from the love of God, right? But it can lead to discipline by that law, right? The governing authorities have the, the, the sword or the scepter, actually, to, to discipline people based upon them breaking the law, right? So resisting the law does result in negative consequences, we used to say in the military, play stupid games, receive stupid consequences, you know? So, so I'll ask a question then. What, what about in cases like an Adolf Hitler, right? He was the governing authority. According to scripture, God put him there, right? And like I said, God uses rulers and authorities for his purposes and it could be for good and it could be for bad right or discipline or evil or whatever and so um, what what do you think we do if someone like an Adolf Hitler a dictator becomes a leader and mandates that you 
kill other people and that it's legally okay in that country, right? Those, that's a legitimate question we should be asking as a result of this, right? At what, basically, at what point are we allowed to rebel and not follow those orders because it violates God's rule, God's commandment? So obviously God put Adolf Hitler there because of what we just read, but did Adolf Hitler take his role too far, right? Or, or did, just like a pharaoh, did God harden his heart? And, and Pharaoh and Adolf Hitler did what they wanted to do because that's what they thought was the best thing, right? So the government also has limitations, right? It's removed itself from its appropriate place. Its appropriate place is to have order, law and order, and protect that law and order by rules and laws and regulations. Um, but it also can usurp its role too, right? <clears throat> um, so, you know, there's stories of, like, say, Poland, where Jews were there, right? And the people, it was, it was mandated that they don't hide or house Jews, right? So the Polish believers, some, some Polish believers said, no, we can't hide Jews because it's violating Romans 13 too. God put the leader there, right? So you have this sort of, this paradox of what it is that you're to do. But again, that's a misapplication. That actually is a misapplication of Romans 13 too, because the governing authorities also have accountability to do their job, which is to protect, have law and order, right? So, so as a congregation that thinks and tries to apply scriptural uh, promises, you know, it, we have to all obviously, excuse me, think about how what's government's role, right? And so, like I said, as U.S. citizens, we have certain rights, right? We have certain absolute inalienable God-given rights that a government is not allowed to usurp. You know, I would say that I'm trying not to get too political or at all, but I would say that the Constitution, right, is written actually not for the people, it's written to the government. It's the rules that the government is supposed to follow. It's not our rules, it's their rules, right? Meaning that they can't usurp any of our rights to freedom of speech, our right to assemble, our right to bear arms, right? All these things, that's their laws that they have to protect us with. But that's another side story, so I'll try not to get there. Okay, so just there's times when then we need to rebel against the governing authority because they are usurping God's command. If, if they are tolerating killing other people, that's a violation of God's law, right? And so we don't participate in that. And so there are, there are areas where, and, and especially now, you know, we've got this transgender, we've got homosexuality, we have all these things where if you speak out against them, you could, you could, in some other countries so far, on ours, probably not too far behind, you could have, be charged with a hate crime for speaking just scripture, right? In fact, in, in Canada, you, they have said you can't read scripture in church that says homosexuality is wrong. So what do you do in that scenario, right? They, they legally could come arrest you. But again, our duty, God put those people in charge, God all things work together for the good of you. So you do what God's commandment is, what God's will is, and that's to preach the word, teach the word, follow the word. And if the hate crime charge comes, somehow God is going to make that for your good, right? And that's, that's the persecution that we should be thinking and, per, and, and preparing for is those type of things in the culture we live in, right? And we're, all, we're, already, we're already 
you know, being labeled as old-fashioned and bigoted and racist and homo, all these things, right, just know that that's probably where most of our persecution is going to come, is from just sticking to Scripture, what it actually says, right? Okay, so he gives more reasons. Anybody have any comments on that? Thoughts? It's pretty... Okay, let's read three and four then. So he continues to give us some more reasons to submit to authority. So read verse three, if you would. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. Okay, so right, like we said, the role of the government. So we, we know God puts the government there and the, the, appoints the people to rule over it, they have a responsibility, and again, that's to protect the moral order, right? To protect citizens um, from other citizens violating their rights, basically, right? So moral order is put in there so that in our country, that the inalienable rights, you can't infringe or you can't... Um, overtake someone else's rights. You're sort of free to do what you want so long as it doesn't infringe on somebody else's rights, right? It's like, what do they say? Your, your, your fist ends at my face, you know? Like, you can't do whatever you want, any harm or violence to somebody else because my face has a, a, a block, you know, or like a, a wall that you can't continue on, right? Um, so we are to do the right thing, which is doing good by obeying the law, um, so it says, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? So if you basically, if you don't want to fear the authority, then what? Then do what is good. Do the law, right? And then you will receive his approval. I mean, we don't look at it as a person, right? We don't say, I'm obeying the president of the United States. We just say that we this is a law that we abide by because it's good for order and it's good for uh, a moral order, right? Um, and then again, we, we see the extent of government authority in 4A. So read 4A. For he is God's servant for your good. He is God's servant for your good, right? So um, we should not view the rulers as a burden to us because they are actually ministers of God, not necessarily ministers of Scripture or of truth, of spiritual truth, um, but of authority, right, and of that rule and of that order that they minister or God's servant for your good. Having um, a police presence in, in a city or in an area allows people to interact freer, right? It allows us to, to, to behave um, in a freer way because we know there's a consequence if we don't, right? And other people have a consequence if they don't, so it keeps order, right? Um, okay, so, like I said, a government official is a minister of God because of he's preserving law and order in a society. Therefore, they're ministering good things, right? A good result. Um, the, the purpose of government is to administer justice, right, for a good result. We often talk about injustices, um, but generally the injustices are moral, um, not necessarily legal, right? Legal, our legal system has justice, right? When you steal from somebody, 
generally you hope that there's a justice for that because there's a whole process for it, right? Okay, 4B, read 4B if you would, because here's a warning. You could finish the whole thing out. For it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Okay, so they they bear the sword, right? They they um they don't bear it in vain for nothing, meaning they actually have the legal authority and the and the God-given authority to bear the sword, right? And that would be capital punishment if need be, right? Um, and they, so, but they bear the sword in the sense of punishment and discipline. If you don't pay your taxes or you do bad things, they have the, the force of the police to come and do consequences to you, you know, take you by force to prison and hold you there until whatever justice is deemed by them, you know? Um, so they are a cause to fear, right, for those only who really break the law. I don't want to say only because, like I said, we have, in our culture, we're beginning to see that, that, like I said, these hate crimes or thought crimes or whatever they're calling them can be a problem for us because that's not even in the law. It's just that um, they, want that to, they want that to happen because they are against the Christian Christian belief system, right? Okay, so if if you don't you won't fear the law if you do what is right. That's basically what he says. God put put the leaders there, the authorities there. If you do what is right, you don't have to fear them. If you don't do what is right, you're going to fear them, and you rightly should, right? And then the, he gives another reason. Paul gives another reason for for submitting to the authority. That's verse five. If you'd read verse five. Okay, so here we see a moral reason, right? We're to be in subjection to the government to avoid wrath, right? God's wrath, and to keep our conscience clear, right? When we live according to God's word, we don't we not only avoid judicial consequences or legal consequences of rulers, but we also enjoy a clear conscience. We can sleep better at night. We can walk through the streets without fear and have, you know, be running or whatever. So if our conscience is trained by God, by renewing our mind, right, it functions as an alarm system, right? When you go outside of those boundaries of God's word, your conscience will say, ah, this isn't right, this isn't right, come back in, come back in, right? right. So it alerts us when we overstep God's boundaries for ourselves. And I've said it before, you can be anybody you want to be inside Scripture, right? So whatever scripture, scripture sets the boundaries. And we know that every one of us are different and every one of us have these likes and dislikes and these likes and dislikes. You can be whoever you want to be. And that's actually the next section we're talking about is how we have these differences. How do you approach it? But when you go outside of the boundaries of God's word, fortunately, the Holy Spirit in you and your conscience says, come back in. That's not good. That's not good. That's not good. Right? Because consequences will come. 
So it's a good thing, right? Just like we're talking about the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law is a fantastic thing because it exposes your sin. It lets you know that you have sin. It lets you know your conscience is a great thing because it guides you back into where you want to be, pleasing to the Lord, right? Yeah, we good? Okay, um, 6 and 7, this is ending that section. Some practical obligations. So read verse 6 if you would. Well, of course, he's got to pay, put pay taxes in there, right? <laughs> right. 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 A tax season, right? I guess so. No. Um, so it says itself, right? We got to. We should pay taxes. They're they're supposed to be ministers of. They're you know, and that's a whole other conversation. Are they actually doing good things? Are they taking our money and giving it to places where we disagree? Yes, they are. They're corrupt people for sure. But that's not our business, in a sense, to, to be worried about that. I mean, again, as a U.S. citizen, we should hold our leaders accountable. We have certain rights that we should exercise. But as believers, that's not, shouldn't be, uh, my opinion is it shouldn't be your primary concern about the, the moral fortitude of our leaders, right? Your, your primary concern is the sanctification process of yourself, right? And growing and maturing in the Lord. So... We should pay taxes, even though the taxes are used for bad things. That, again, is going to be God's, God's judgment. God's holding them accountable, too, for their own actions, right? Um, okay, so 7a, pay to all what is owed to them, right? And that's, this stuff's kind of simple, right? Um, so he lists four things. He just lists out of four examples. Tax to whom tax are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So basically, we're to give back whatever we owe something. Um, we owe the government taxes, you know, so we pay them taxes. Um, we, if we have a loan from a bank, we pay back the loan, right? Um, and to those that have authority, like judges and, and off police officers, authorities, we give them a sense of honor and respect. You know, we don't disrespect them. They, they are ministers of goodness for our society, so we should treat them accordingly. That's what Paul's saying there. Yeah? Okay. Uh, private obligations. That covers 8 through 10. So it's kind of on the same theme of justice. So someone read verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Isn't that a gem? For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, right? So our as believers, our behavior towards others should have the intention. Remember, our foundation is humility, right? Our conduct is love, our foundation is humility. Um, when we have the intention of loving others, we will naturally fulfill the scriptures, right? Because love is what conquers all things. Um, so when we are with the intention of love, with humility, we will fulfill all these things. The law of Christ, the law of Moses. We will fill those things within God's plan with love, right? So the obligation here is to don't allow ourselves to fall into some kind of debt, right? Any kind of debt, except for the debt of what? The debt of love, right? So you feel like, I owe that person love, right? I owe that person love. 
I'm indebted to that person, just like you would be indebted to a bank or to somebody who you borrowed money or to whatever. Have the thought, the, the mindset that I owe other people love, right? That's what he's saying. Contrast that. We know what it feels like to owe people money or owe somebody money. Now have that same mindset for people. You owe them love. You are indebted to them with love. And that's what he's saying. Except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. You want to please the Lord? Love one another. You want to grow in the Lord? Love one another. Right? And also to Hebrews, for saying the same thing, when he was asked, what's the most important law? Yeah. Love God with all your heart and mind and strength, and second is like it, love one another on these two, the old law. Stands, that's right. Rest, that's exactly right. And that's my whole point. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> According to Christ, right, to love one's neighbor was the second most important commandment of the law, of Moses, right? Um, that's in Leviticus 19, 18, Matthew 22, Mark 12, Luke 10. And that's also true of the law of Christ. I'm going to read Galatians 5.14. If you want to turn to Galatians 5.14. It's also in James 2.8. Um, but it is exactly that. So Romans uh, 13.8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Well, Galatians 5.14 says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So if you want to be a, a pleasing believer to the Lord, what do you do? Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor right? <clears throat> so that's kind of how we're learning is how do you love your neighbor, even though he's that person. Even though he, like I said, he doesn't cut his grass the way he's supposed to cut his grass or whatever. You know? How do you love that guy, right? And that's kind of what we're going through, right? But the, the whole idea is a mind, it's a transformation of your mind in the sense that your foundation is humility. You don't think of yourself higher than that person, but you are indebted to love that person. Because why are you indebted? We love because why? God first loved us, right? It's just a, it's a reaction. We're not even starting the chain reaction. It just come to us, so we just pass it on through, right? We indebted to love to one another. Good? Okay, so in verse 9 here, this is what we get into the, the Ten Commandments here. Verse 9. Someone read verse 9 back, chapter 13 of Romans 13, 9. Read verse 9. Okay, so like I said, in the Ten Commandments in Exodus, five deal with man's relationship with God, and five deal with man's relationship with each other. These five are, what do you think? Between each other, Between each other right? So he's, Paul quotes these five because they deal with the relationship with each other, and that's this whole theme, is that you love one another, right? If you, you wouldn't commit adultery if you love the other person. You wouldn't murder that other person if the, you love them, right? You won't covet them because you love them, right? So it's that, that, whole, that whole premise is humility and love. Um, so th these, even though these five commandments are part of the Mosaic law, they are also in the law of Christ as well, right? Um, if we love our neighbors as ourselves, we will naturally fulfill the commandments that pertain to our relationships to one another. Read, read verse 10, if you would. 
Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is, is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the fulfilling of the, of the law. So if we practice the type of love that Paul is writing about, we will naturally exercise a love that fulfills our obligation. We have an obligation, we have a duty, because we are now new creations. We have a newness of spirit, a newness of heart. We have gifts that God has given us. We've, been, we've received all these wonderful things. Our obligation, therefore, is to present our bodies living holy sacrifice. How do we do that? We love one another, right? God is love, we love one another. Love is the sum, sum total of fulfilling the law, right? So lo, fulfilling the law is meant to, to, to um, boundary or put a bound on behavior that is loving to one another, right? The law is very good because it, it constrains our sin nature, right? It pushes our sin nature out. And so the sum total of fulfilling the law is love, the intention, and that's what the Sermon on the Mount was too, right? Christ said, you've heard this, and they tell you this, if you want to be righteous, you want to do that. But I'm telling you that just your intention, your, your motivation, your, your desire is really what it's at, the, really the heart of the matter, right? If you, if you, you know, call a guy a fool, it's the same as committing murder because your heart is malice, it's not of love, right? Yeah? All right, pretty, pretty straightforward. I mean, it's not any great new things here. All right, so now we're into personal obligations. Um, that was private obligation, now we're into personal obligations. So 11 through 14. Um, so this is his ending his instruction to the church and it has several personal obligations. Um, he's going to motivate us to live out the spiritual life in a consistent manner. So read, read verse 11. Okay, so the motivation here is to live out the spiritual life in a consistent and God-honoring way. Why? Because what's near? Your salvation. And what part of salvation is near? Glorification, right? So your glorification is at hand. Remember we talked, things are at hand. You don't have to go. You don't have to go there. You don't have to look for it. It's there. It's at hand. Your glorification is at hand. Why? Why? Worry about all the other stuff when your glorification is at hand, right? If, you're, if your foundation is humility, your intention is love, you knowing your glorification is going to be soon, that changes like your total perspective, right? It doesn't mean that you don't, you know, you don't plan, meaning like you, you, know, you, you, don't, you, know, you don't just go live however way you want, but nonetheless, with that mindset, you, you have that... that Motivation, knowing that since your glorification is at hand, it's much easier to be humble and to love because you're going to be out of this sin nature, right? It just motivates you to live for the Lord, presenting your bodies a holy and living sacrifice, right? Bless you. Um, so our bodies, it says, you know, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. As each and every day goes by, it gets closer and closer, right? Um, the redemption that we're looking forward to, the glorification we're looking forward to, makes our salvation complete, right? So it's, it's, 
with that process, with that understanding in mind, we're to wake up, right? Wake up and understand the times. Understand, besides this, you know the time. Wake up. It's here. Live in the day. Live in the, live in the glory of what you've already received. When you became saved, you received eternal life from that point forward. You're, you're already living an eternal life right now. Right? Think like it, act like it, behave like it, right? Um, go over to 1 Thessalonians 5, and we'll read 4 through 10. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 10. Right, 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 10 says, But you are not in darkness. I want you to recall um, verse 11 of chapter 13, Romans 13. It's the same idea. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that, that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So each day is a day passing closer, right, to the final state of our salvation. Every day goes on, it's a closer to our final state of salvation, which is glorification. That nearness, that, that time, awareness of that time, leads to other obligations, and that's what verses, we go back to chapter 13 of Romans, it leads to other things, and that we need to put off or stop doing. So in light of the time, in light of your position, Paul gives us a couple things. We'll just do those couple things and be done. Um, 12 and 13 are the things that we need to put off. And then verse 14 shows us rather what we put on. Right? So in light of our time, in light of the position that we have, in light of our future glorification, in light of loving one another as our motivation and humility as our foundation, um, read verse 12a, chapter 13, 12a, if you would. Right, our glorification is near today than it was yesterday. And then 12b and 13. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Okay, so we see here how Paul equates night with works of darkness, right, and day with the armor of light. We, we've come through the night of unbelief. The, the darkness that was once on us and in us is no longer. We are now children of the light, right? We are now, and now we're to put on the armor of light. Um, the daytime is here. We're to exchange, you know, as an illustration, we exchange our pajamas, our nighttime clothes, with the glory that God has given. We put on that glory that God has given us, the armor of light, right? It's worn during the daylight when the battle is to be fought, right? We, we're, we're more than conquerors, right? We're hyperkaneo. We're more than conquerors. 
Um, when the battle is here, so, so think like it, act like it, do that. Although, our final, although we're not in our final glorification, our final redemption, we should be living as though we are going to be, right? Why would you live in that way, just waiting, twirling your thumbs, waiting? No, it says take action. Act as though you're living in that. Act, you, you are already there. You already have the armor of light. Now think and act like it, right? So we're to cast off the works of darkness or cast off our nighttime pajamas and put on our daytime battle armor, the armor of light. And then what, what are we supposed to, when we cast off, what are we supposed to put, put on? Verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires, right? So this is another uh, illustration of clothing. We're to clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, this goes back to dedicating our bodies, right? When you dedicate, present your body, you're going to put on this clothing of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? It's a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. Um, so we're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is preparing and using your body as an instrument of righteousness rather than an instrument of unrighteousness, right? By dedicating our bodies to God, we won't give away for to fall back into the flesh. Why would you put your pajamas back on, right? In the daytime. We see people wearing pajamas in the daytime now. It's weird. <laughs> Especially the airport. You're like, did you just get out of bed? <laughs> okay. We will end there. Any any comments or thoughts or ideas? Well, um, in my Bible, it mentions that he was writing this during Nero. So exactly. talking about uh, a ridiculous government, like you put it before, <laughs> yeah. um, and to have Christians being tortured um, at Nero's desire. Yeah. Um, that really puts it in perspective. And, I mean, I'm not a human candle in a garden right now. I have a pretty good compared to Paul's time. Right, right. Very true. Good. Any, anybody else? Oh, okay. We'll pray. Father God, we bow our hearts, Lord, and we are just grateful and thankful for all the mercies and the blessings that you've given us, Lord. We come before you and we, we want to present to you our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Lord, we want to please you with our, our minds. We want to please you with our intentions. We want to please you with everything that we are. So, Lord, we ask that just as we came to saving grace in you, we would come to sanctifying grace in you, and that is that you would transform us, that you'd renew our mind, that we would be reprogrammed to your word. Lord, let your word light, light us up and light shine so that we would rightly understand you, rightly understand the world around us, rightly understand the relationship we have with each other and with you. Lord, we ask that you would increase our faith, Lord, that you are the, since you are the author and finisher of our faith, we don't do it on our own strength or our own will, but we rely on you. So, Lord, remind us that we would rely on you and that we would uh, remind, also remind us that we have been crucified with Christ. We were buried with Christ, but we've also risen in Christ, that we would live with daytime armor of light and not the nighttime uh, shame and, and, and sin and all the things that our old selves were partaking of. We ask, Lord, that we would just be in you and that you would be in us and that we would walk in, in the light of those mercies. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.